If you believe it, let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Amen. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on. We're going to do this again. He is risen. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Because some of y'all were raised in different churches than other people. (laughs) Every Baptist in here is like, these people don't know what they are doing. When I say he is risen, you say he is risen indeed. So let's try one more time. He's risen. All right, there we go. Good job. (laughs) Took us a little bit, but that's okay. I don't mind that we don't all know all the traditional things around here. It's all right with me. I want to talk to you today about hope. Specifically, he is hope. Jesus. What that means. Easter is the most important event that happened in human history. In fact, it established time. Jesus split time at Easter, at resurrection, B.C. and A.D. The fact of the matter is, is even if you don't believe in Jesus, you refer to him daily just because you have to write a date down somewhere. 2017 years from what? From hope, from the day that, that Jesus came and gave us hope. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys are raising strong-willed children right now? How many of you guys are raising strong-willed children? Some of y'all need to raise both hands. You're like, oh, help me, oh, Lord. <laughs> I get that, I get that. How many of y'all raise a strong-willed child, but they have since moved out? That strong-willed child has moved out, okay? That's where the party's at, right there, people. You want to know where the party's at. It's in there. They're like praising Jesus. Careful, though, sometimes they're a boomerang. You throw them out, they come right back. <laughs> Some of you, you, you have like one kid. You have like one kid, you know, young couple. You have one kid. And they're compliant. You know, like their first words were, yes, ma'am. And I just want you to know, I am praying that you have another child. <laughs> just so you can have a little bit of a reality check, you know, come back down to earth a little bit. I was a strong-willed child for sure. Growing up, man, I just, I had a strong personality. I know that's probably hard for y'all to imagine because I'm pretty, you know, laid back, but that's a joke because I'm not laid back. (laughs) But I was a strong-willed child. At one point, I remember I had had enough. I'd had enough. I was sick and tired of my mom bossing me around. So at the mature age of four years old, I decided it was time to run away. And so I packed a bag. All the essentials, of course, my Rubik's Cube, a half-eaten banana. I went and dug through my mom's purse, found every quarter I could find, because at that point I had no concept of paper money. That didn't mean anything to me. It had to weigh something to have value to it. So I have found five quarters, and I was off. I snuck out of the house, and I ran away to a distant place, a magical place known as the laundromat, two blocks away. And I went in there because I remembered other times when we were at the laundromat and my parents wouldn't let me play this magical arcade game known as Joust. And I wanted to play Joust. And so I ran away to the laundromat and I played Joust. Oh, I played it. And I used all five of my quarters. Took about 20 minutes. 
And then I just decided it was time to establish permanent residency there in the laundromat. So I found a dryer and I climbed into it. It was quite comfortable. And I'll never forget the look on the lady's face of the clothes that were in that dryer when she opened it and found me there. So that lady went, and my parents were already out and around frantically looking for me, and so she notified them that I had moved into the laundromat. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, though, when you're a four-year-old little boy with strong will, and you got yourself wedged up in a dryer, it's hard to get you out. Real hard. Unless your dad is persuasive. Persuasive. (laughs) And my dad came and persuaded me Right out of that dryer. I'm raising strong little kids now. I know how that is. I want you to know the strongest will that you've ever had in your life. Maybe you consider yourself strong-willed. There has never been a stronger will in all of eternity than the will pointed at reaching your heart. At reaching your life. The will of the Father to pursue you to the point that he would send his only son, Jesus. And the will of Jesus to give up heaven to pursue you. And, I, and you have to know, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is not about gathering crowds. It's about the pursuit of you. It's about the Heavenly Father's will to pursue you, you, every person. It says in Romans 8.37, Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay, the pursuit of us, when we understand that, when you accept that, when you know who you are because of that pursuit, nothing can overcome you. Nothing. We are more than overcomers through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, this is a crazy love that nothing can interfere with. And it's a love that we don't deserve. But it's available to us. What is hope? What is hope? What is hope to you? Like when you say, I hope, like what does that mean to you? If I was out and about and I asked somebody, man, how do you think Razorback's going to do this fall? Somebody might say, well, I hope they do well. But the truth is, that's kind of just wishful thinking. Because at the end of the day, what you're talking about is not something that you, you actually apply hope to. Hope is something so much more than that. I find a lot of people, they have a tendency to put their hope in just whatever's new. Like, what, what's the newest car? What's the newest house? What's the newest trend? Like a lot of people, they, they, they put their hope in, in those types of things. The new trends, man, there's some weird trends out there right now. Weird. Like unicorns? 
Unicorns are trending. Why is that? I don't get it. Some of y'all watch for hours a giraffe giving birth. I don't get it. Y'all, y'all are weird. It's just weird to me. It's just weird. Weird. But a million people were watching live as a giraffe. <sighs> Whatever. I don't know what you're putting hope in. Maybe it's the newest movie, like the newest Star Wars movie, the newest Disney remake. I don't know. Maybe you put your hope in hunting. Maybe you put your hope in shopping. Maybe you're putting your hope that your spouse will let you go hunting or shopping. (laughs) I don't know what you're putting your hope in. But there's really only one thing that you can hope in. It's the only place that you can find hope. I find that most don't understand what hope really is. Because you don't just need hope because you might die tomorrow. You need hope to live today. And, And hope is not optimism. Optimism is psychological. The hope is theological. Optimism, it's believing in yourself, but hope is believing in God. Optimism is you thinking about what you can do, but hope is what you believe God can do with you. Optimism is saying, it's not so bad. Just think positive thoughts. The sun will come up tomorrow. But all along denying reality. (laughs) Denying the facts, what's really going on. See, hope does not work that way. Hope exists in reality. The difference is hope will come along and say, man, it's really, really bad right now. Like maybe the worst that it's ever been. Things are are difficult. But what hope says is that in spite of how bad it is or how hard it is, God's got my back. And I can trust him. And I can lean in the hope and the truth of his word that I'm above and not beneath. I'm ahead and not a tail. I'm called on purpose for great works for his kingdom that all things work to the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. That's where you find real hope. Do you know what hope is? Because you're gonna need it. Some of you, you've had an incredibly difficult year and you're sitting in a place right now where You feel like, man, it'll never change. Or you'll never change. And we live in a broken world with broken people, broken marriages, relationships, dreams, plans, you name it. We have to understand where real hope comes from. And that is what today is about. It's understanding where that hope comes from. 1 Peter 1.21 says, Because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your faith and hope, everybody say hope, can be placed confidently in God. Confidently. 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today, I want to talk about three different people that existed around the Easter story. And all three of these people, at one point or another, lost hope. 
but they got it back. They got it back. Mary Magdalene, someone who was broken, felt lonely, without hope. Thomas, for all intents and purposes, going from a place of believing in Christ to becoming one of the first agnostics, losing hope. Then Peter, dealing with his shame and his guilt and losing his hope. First person I want to talk about is Mary Magdalene. For her, he is hope for the brokenhearted. He's hope for the brokenhearted. This is a lady that understood what it meant to be broken. Many think that she was the woman caught in adultery. Some think that she was the woman that poured the alabaster jar on Jesus' feet. Others think that she might have been a prostitute. What we know for sure is the word says that Jesus delivered her, set her free, restored her. What we do know is in spite of everything that she had done, Jesus taught her or treated her with dignity and love and acceptance and, and wanted her around him in spite of all of her stuff. But she was a person that tried to find fulfillment and wholeness with all the wrong people in all the wrong places. And so she was at a place without hope, broken. It says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Is that you? Maybe you're brokenhearted for some reason. Man, when your spirit is crushed, it is so difficult to function in life. But I want you to know that God is, is here to be close to you, to be near to you. I find it so interesting and cool that when Jesus came back from the grave, the first person that he revealed himself to was not a disciple. It wasn't someone like that. It was to Mary. That was the first person he revealed himself to. The story of that encounter is in John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. It says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. That word means teacher, the one I respect. Jesus asked her, I think, two very important questions. And you need to understand that anytime Jesus asks a question or God asks a question, it's not because they're seeking information. It's not like they don't know what's going on. Anytime there's a question asked, it's because they understand God understands, Jesus understands how important it is that we hear our own words, that our hearts hear our own words. These two questions 
Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Jesus loves to hear what breaks our hearts. He wants us to be able to confess those things to him. Why was she crying? Because for the first time in her life, she had met someone who accepted her and loved her no matter what. And she thought that that had been taken away. So she was broken because of that. And she needed to confess that brokenness. Maybe that's something that's happening in your life. Maybe you have a broken place somewhere in your life that you've never confessed to Jesus. I think he's asking, why are you crying? The other question is, who are you looking for? Because God also loves to hear us declare the fact that the only place that we can find hope is in him. And when he asks that, he just, he wants to affirm in Mary that the only person that she ever needs to be looking for and searching for is Jesus. That's all that matters. And what I love is that Jesus didn't preach a sermon. He said one word, Mary. And that changed everything. She went from a place of such deep sorrow, depression, and mourning. And by the way, those things can blind you from seeing Jesus. To a place where when when her name was spoken by her Savior, everything changed because there was so much more than just the name spoken. It was him saying, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you need. I know what's hurting. I know what's broken. I know you, Mary. Maybe over the course of your life, a lot of different people have said your name. I know in the course of my life, there's been some people that when they said my name, it meant so much to me. Most of us, at one point or another, we're going to have multiple names in our life. One of my favorite names is Daddy. There's nothing like hearing your kids say your name, especially when they're actually being polite and respectful and kind. And there's nothing like it. Grateful. Thank you, Daddy. Ha, ha, ha. I will do anything for you, child. But I remember what it was like to hear my grandfather say my name before he passed away. Because he always called me James Cody. Now, usually when you hear your first and middle names, you're in trouble, but not with granddad. It was just, it's just what he called me. Uh, maybe there was somebody that you've lost, someone that passed away that you haven't got to hear their name in a, or them say your name in a long time. I just want you to know it doesn't matter who has ever said your name or how sweet it sounded. There will never be any greater time and any sweeter time that you will hear your name said than when Jesus calls your name. And if you're a believer, you'll get to hear it in person, face to face, when you enter into heaven. When he says, well done. Well done. But I also want you to know that he's also calling your name right now. That Easter is about him calling your name. And saying, I know you. I know what you need. I know what you've done. I know how broken you are. I know how messed up you are. I know how prideful you are. I know how lost you are. I know. And I've done everything I need to do to give you freedom and healing 
and wholeness. If you love someone, you know the sound of their voice. You know the sound of their voice because you spend time around them. My wife, Cody, she's, she's got a couple pet names for each other. I won't share some of them because they're personal and private, but, but one of the names that Cody will call me is Babe. Babe. Now, my wife has never called me, and, and when I picked up the phone, and she said, hey, babe, I've never said, now, who is this? Because I would be dead. What God wants more than anything is for you to know what his voice sounds like. To accept his love, to walk in his love in such a way that you know when he's speaking to you. Easter gives us that opportunity. Another person, Thomas. For Thomas, he was hope when we stopped believing. He's hope when we stopped believing. For three years, Jesus had been walking with his disciples. I mean, he had been telling them over and over again that he would die. He told them that. It's through all the Gospels. But when it happened, they were devastated. Like, just completely crushed. Didn't matter what he had said, this promise, what was going to happen after he died, they just were crushed. All of them, including Thomas. Uh, Thomas, he was a thinker. Uh, He was someone that, he wasn't just going to believe something someone said just because they said it. Like, he wanted to see, he wanted to have some proof. And, and, and he got to see that. He walked with Jesus. He got to see that proof. But when Jesus died, so did his faith. And he began to doubt. In fact, he began to just completely not believe. To the point where even when other people were telling him what had happened, he just, he wouldn't believe. Have you ever been in a place where you've doubted? You've questioned? I want you to know God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubt. He he doesn't mind you being in a place where you're doubting him because at least you're still thinking about him even if you're doubting him. So Thomas is in this place. You know, Thomas is the kind of guy, some of the churches I grew up in, look, they would never tell you that in church. You better never doubt God. You doubt God, you will go to hell. And then they would point at you, and it seemed like their finger was 15 feet long. And they'd like poke you in the forehead. I, I went to a couple mean churches growing up, okay? I went to some mean churches. I went to one church that hated dancing hated it like it was straight out of hell I mean these people look these people knew that we had a father-daughter ball at our church in our church they would they would come right out of their graves I'm convinced most of them would die because you don't live long without joy but they would come straight out of their graves and they would come and let us know exactly how they feel about that look they they were against premarital sex because they thought it could lead to dancing that's the only reason that's how much they hated dancing they would teach you that if you kiss, you're going to get pregnant. Well, that's the case in Cabot, Arkansas, is the kissing capital of the world because we got babies all over the place up in this place. If there's one thing we know how to do, oh, thank you, Jesus. More than one way to grow a church, amen? 
But because of Easter, guess what? He got his hope back. It says in John 20, verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was there with them, because he'd missed out on this. Jesus had revealed himself to several different groups, but Thomas wasn't there. So he's a skeptic, because he hasn't seen Jesus. Doesn't matter how many people have told him, until he sees it, it's going to be hard for him to believe. So they're in the room, the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you. This always cracks me up. Like, they're still going to freak out. Like, why don't you just go with boo? <laughs> it's a little more humor in there. I don't know why I didn't do it, but. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God, Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I just want you to know that you can be the most skeptical person in the world. But God is extending hope to you. He wants to have a relationship with you. The rest of the disciples, they live lives like this for the rest of their lives because of their belief including Thomas. In fact, history says that Thomas was speared to death for not denying his faith. The skeptic. The agnostic. Matthew suffered martyrdom by being slain with a sword in Ethiopia. Mark died after being dragged through the streets of Alexandria. Peter was crucified in Rome upside down. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The other James, thrown off the top of the temple and then beaten. Bartholomew was filleted alive. Andrew was crucified, preaching the whole time about the love of God. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Paul, who replaced Judas, was beheaded in Rome. John 5.24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. The last person, Peter. He is hope for shame. He's hope for guilt. If you knew Peter, I would guess he was a pretty enthusiastic guy. Cool guy to be around, always willing to do anything. Big mouth, said some things you shouldn't say at the wrong times, you know. But, but just willing to take risks. Jumped out of the boat, walked on water. But he was also a little overly confident in himself. To the point where, at one point he insisted to Jesus that he would never deny him. Never. He would rather die than deny Jesus. And Jesus was like, hold on, boy careful. Jesus told him before the rooster crowed that he would deny him three times. And while Jesus was being interrogated and beaten by the Sanhedrin, Peter stood out in a courtyard and most theologians believe that what was a young girl recognized him, accused him of being with Jesus. And three different times Jesus denied knowing who Jesus was. And then the rooster crowed. This was the greatest failure and shame of Peter's life. In fact, at one point, the last time that he denied him, he caught the eyes of Jesus as he denied him. What's the greatest failure in your life? Probably not the most encouraging thing to think about. How many of you would like a do-over? A mulligan? Well, I want you to know that that's exactly what Easter is about. What I love about this situation with, with Peter was when Jesus rose from the grave and 
He encountered the Marys. He said, go and tell the disciples, oh, and tell Peter. Like singling him out, making sure, making sure, because Jesus knew that Peter was in this place of shame and guilt. And he wanted Peter specifically to know that he still loved him. And I'm convinced of this. If Judas had not hung himself, Jesus would have said, go and tell Peter and tell Judas too. That in spite of the mistake they made, I love them. I don't want them to stay in that place of shame. Later on, when he's hanging out, Jesus and Peter are hanging out, and Jesus asked him this question. Remember, whenever he's asking a question, it's not because he needs information. He asked him the question, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. He asked him the same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? You know that I love you. And I think that was for Peter. Anytime there's anything in series of threes, it, it communicates an explanation point. It, it communicates an emphasis on the point. Completion. It's Peter hearing his own words saying that in spite of my mistake, in my heart, I truly have always loved you. That hasn't changed. I love you. I want you to know no matter what the greatest mistake is in your life, guilt, shame, and condemnation are not from God. Jesus defeated those things on the cross and in the grave. You are not supposed to carry those things. Jesus is not interested in rubbing your sin in your face. He is interested in wiping away the tears of your guilt and making you whole. That's what he wants to do. Jesus is giving Mary, Thomas, and Peter hope through resurrection, through the Easter story. Here's the thing, Jesus is perfect and we are not. Heaven is perfect and we are not. And if God would let imperfection into heaven, well, that would make heaven earth. So how in the world do imperfect people get into a perfect place? Jesus, because he was perfect. He was perfect. He became sin. He became our sin. He became your sin. He became it, but he defeated it. He defeated it. He destroyed it. He killed it. And he left it in the grave so that you could have hope. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. In John 14, 16, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to tell you that you may be a good person. You may have done a good, lot of good things in your life. You may have gone to church your whole life. You may know all the verses, all the hymnals, all the songs, all the right things to say. But at the end of the day, if you've never come to a place 
where you were gut level honest and realize that no matter how good you are, you can't save yourself. The word says that everyone has sinned. Everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've never come to the place where you realize that you need a savior, and more than that, you need to surrender your life to the person who is hope. His name is Jesus and make him your Lord. If you've never done that, or maybe you did, but your shame, your guilt has caused you to drift away from him, to distance yourself from him. That's not his will, that's not his plan. That's not what he wants for you. But if you've done that, and today you're ready to actually understand what Easter is about. You're at a place where you're willing to surrender your life to Jesus, make him your Lord and savior, rededicate your life to him today. I'm not gonna do anything crazy. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything crazy, but I'm asking you to be bold enough. He took your sin on in the most humiliating public way possible. Would you be bold enough with every head bowed and every eye closed just to confess that you need him by raising your hand? If that's you, please do right now. As soon as I see you, put your hand down. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Yes, 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 sir, yes, sir, yes. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? I just want to confirm. I don't have to see your hand for you to get saved. I just want you to know that as a pastor, and hopefully even as your pastor, I'm believing with you right now. Anybody else? I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes. I need to come back to him today. I've been away from him for a long time. I need to rededicate my life to him this morning. Anybody else? Don't worry about anybody around you. Don't let your pride keep you from the most important decision that you could ever make. This is a good time to admit that you're weak. Got it, yes. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, got it, got it, got it. Yes, ma'am. Every person, just raise your hand. I want you to know that the word says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you can be saved. It's important that people know that you're making this decision so that they can encourage you, challenge you. So you have people that can help you along your walk, but right there in your chair, right now, you don't have to know all the right words to say, but just say something like this. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. I believe in faith that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And, and I ask that you forgive me. Forgive me for my sin. And right now, I, I don't want just forgiveness, but I don't want to live the same way anymore. So I surrender my life to you, God, to your will, to your plan and purpose. I don't know what all that means yet, but I wanna know, I wanna grow in an understanding of your plan, your purpose, what your word says. Help me to understand more about your love because I need it, God. I surrender my life to you. Give me a new life, a new beginning. God, I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus for every one of us. I pray that you would help us to keep the main thing, the main thing. That we wouldn't forget the hope that we have through Jesus. But in reality, God, if, if we have that hope, there's no way we can keep it to ourselves. 
I pray, God, that in whatever realm that we live in, whatever sphere of influence that we have, that our hope in you would be evident to all, first and foremost with our actions, and then by the word of our testimony. We thank you for that. We give you the glory and the honor for everything that you did today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give him a hand today if you're thankful for his word, everything he did.